Welcome to From What If to What Next, soul food for your imagination. I'm your host, Rob Hopkins. Before we dive into the warm and perfumed waters of today's episode, I must just mention this podcast is made possible by the wonderful folks who support it at Patreon. If you enjoy what you hear, why not subscribe and enable the continued creation of something great in the world? Today, we're talking about art. Not the kind of art that's traded in the art auction houses of the world or that hangs on the walls of esteemed galleries, rather the kind of art that belongs to the street. In times of profound and tumultuous change, the days of the climate and ecological emergency, the rise of Black Lives Matter, the surge in consciousness around gender sexuality, police oppression, systemic racism, the slow demise of the natural world and so much more, we're seeing the most powerful and often beautiful response from street artists around the globe. Advertisers know only too well the power of getting their message in front of city dwellers and spend fortunes to achieve this. I remember being in Paris during COP21 when advertising panels on bus stops across the city were taken over by artists and their messages about the need for urgent climate action and how different it felt. Street artists stood alongside the fight for climate justice, the Black Lives Matter revolution and so much more. But is it just decoration or does it have the power to deeply shift a culture, to fire the collective imagination? What if it was everywhere? As the great Angela Davis once put it, you have to act as though it were possible to radically transform the world and you have to do it all the time. All the great revolutions and attempted revolutions from the student uprising in Paris in 1968 to the Arab Spring to Black Lives Matter have been accompanied by explosions of street art. And so our question for today's conversation is, what if street art could transform the world? I'm joined by two amazing artists to explore this. Ghanaian-born artist TJ Mohammed has exhibited his works nationally and internationally, including features at the Katona Museum of Art, Longwood Art Gallery, Hudson River Museum and materials for the arts all in New York, Art League Houston, Green Drake Art Gallery and the National Museum of Ghana. He's also organised workshops and community-based projects for a wide range of organisations in the US and further afield, has received numerous accolades and residencies from the Laundromat Project, Children's Museum of Manhattan, Hudson River Museum, Materials for the Arts, all in New York, Ravel d'Art Côte d'Oir, Harmattan Workshop Nigeria, Global Crit Clinic and Asiko Artist Residency in Ghana. Among many grants, he's the recipient of Arts Fund, Artist for Community and new work grant from the Bronx Council on the Arts and the Spanish Embassy Ghana Painters Award. He's committed to working with the diverse communities with which he surrounds himself. We're speaking to him today from the Bronx in New York and he also maintains a studio in Ghana which serves as a sanctuary for visiting artists to interact with local residents, promoting multicultural dialogue through story circles and art workshops, a source of motivation for him in both his studio and teaching practice. And Faviana Rodriguez is an interdisciplinary artist, 
cultural strategist and social justice activist based in Oakland, California. Her art and praxis address migration, gender justice, climate change, racial equality and sexual freedom. Her practice boldly reshapes the myths, stories and cultural practices of the present while healing from wounds of the past. Her projects include Ben and Jerry's Pecan Resist, two large-scale public art commissions from the city of San Francisco, a partnership with Jill Soloway to create 5050by2020.com and an upcoming storytelling initiative at the US-Mexico border. Her work serves as a record of her human experience as a woman of colour embracing joy, sexual pleasure and personal transformation through psychedelics as an antidote to the lifelong impacts of systemic racism. Her signature mark-making embodies the perspective of a first-generation American Latinx artist with Afro-Latinx roots who grew up in Oakland, California during the birth of hip-hop and the crack cocaine epidemic. Her practice includes visual art, public art, writing, cultural organising and power building. She leads meaningful collaborations with social movements that lead to resilient and transformative cultural strategies. In addition to her expansive studio practice, she's the co-founder and president of the Centre for Cultural Power, a national organisation igniting change at the intersection of art culture and social justice. In 2016, she received the Robert Rauschenberg Artist as Activist Fellowship for her work around immigrant detention and mass incarceration. In 2017, she was awarded an Atlantic Fellowship for Racial Equality for her work around racial justice and climate change. In 2018, she received the Soros Equality Fellowship for Organising Artists, Activists. An artist entrepreneur, she has co-founded various institutions including the Eastside Arts Alliance, a cultural centre and affordable housing complex in Oakland, California, and Presente.org, the largest Latino online organising community in the US. She's currently working on a short-form web-based series about sex and consent. Wow. Welcome both. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'd like to start by inviting you to do the exercise we start this podcast with every time. I'd like to invite you both to get comfortable, to close your eyes, and to imagine that we're travelling forward through time, through the next 10 years, which were a time of remarkable, profound and deep change, most of which we could barely imagine in 2021, but which built and built, and by 2030, the world you step out into is the result of everything that could possibly have been done to build a more fair, just, equal, diverse, pleasurable, beautiful and sustainable world having been done. It's amazing. We did it. Those 10 years felt like living through a revolution of the imagination. And when people look back over those amazing years, they see and recognise the huge role street art played. In 2030, street art is everywhere, woven into everyday life. It's become central to how change happens. Ideas are explored. Communities learn. Deep change is nurtured and supported. When you imagine that world, a world where street art is everywhere, what does it look like and feel like and sound like and smell like to you? Can you take us on a walk around that world? Uh, Faviana. Yes, I love this question. And um, what I imagine is that as I walk out of my home, there's a lot of fruit trees that line up my street. It's no longer a concrete jungle. There's actually gardens 
in both public space, but also in people's homes that have really helped create local food systems and food is abundant. Plant-based food is abundant. As I keep walking, I feel very comfortable in my body because I don't have to deal with the catcalls of the past and I don't have to deal with hearing police sirens because the police have been abolished. It's no longer cool to target me because of my gender and how I express myself. And so I get to walk around in a very free and self-expressed way. As I'm moving around, I see the electric transportation that's moving people from one place to the other. I see restorative justice centers, which have replaced our old prisons because prisons no longer exist. We don't put people in cages. We help rehabilitate them. I also see housing, new housing that is helping to shelter the many people which were once houseless. Instead, there is all kinds of fun housing projects that are covered with murals from top to bottom. The street art on that those murals is everything from messages about clean energy to respecting all genders. There's a lot of animals depicted because we have also shifted our relationship to the non-human world. And the buildings also look different because they are no longer just extracting energy. They're actually places where energy gets created through solar and gray water systems. And I get to enjoy culture because there is culture in the park. There is music that is free. Our governments have recognized that culture is such a core part of who we are as human beings that I get to hear culture and see it and see street exhibitions. After COVID, our government recognized that it needed to invest in a new deal for artists. And so for the last 10 years, artists have been recreating the city, rebuilding it, really grounded in the values of regenerative relationships to each other uh, and to our planet. Wow, beautiful. Thank you so much. TJ? As I close my eyes, I see a little girl. I think she's about 11 years old. This 11-year-old girl, I I see her in a T-shirt. I think she's called Sally. Sally is working with me. We see kids running all over the street, happy, smiling. All the animals are also smiling, where animals are choosing their owners instead of owners choosing animals. I see a beautiful, fresh air. The air has color. The colors move around. They move around, clearing away all the insults from politicians, bringing around a breeze of joy where everybody is smiling. I see women, children, all happy with men walking alongside what I would call the breeze of joy. As these people, these, all these people walk along the shore, we see a very bright sun. It might be afternoon, I believe. It's so beautiful, shining, 
maybe it's around 12 o'clock p.m. I mean, at noon. And I see my shadow casted around myself. Very beautiful and glittering. There's no more insults. There's no more diseases. Everybody is happy and smiling. As I walk down, I'm sure it might be around 4 p.m. Everybody is descending down as we see all adopted kids, kids having homes. Every child is smiling. There's no homeless. As it gets dark, there are no homeless people around the street. I'm holding the hands of Sally as we walk around with other four siblings. They're all walking alongside with me. We are all walking in joy. We see murals on the streets and on the streets and the walls everywhere. The murals are talking. All these street arts are moving. Instead of being the one-sided or two-sided, they are moving and becoming more interactive. All these murals are interacting with us. As we walk down the street, Tijan is smiling, but smiling not because he has a dad, but smiling because he has a home smiling because we are all one. I see beautiful destinations and there's no more pollution. There's a lot of beautiful breeze. At night, as we walk down, politicians are crying because they have failed. They wanted to bring hate, but now hate has turned to joy because as somebody says, it's all for letters. It's so beautiful that you cannot imagine not to live in this world. There's so many things that have happened and we are all happy about where we are now. I enjoy it. I mean, I cannot keep describing because this is a moment that can never be described, but I think I did the best in describing. Thanks. Wow, thank you. Thank you both so much. That was absolutely beautiful. So this past year has been quite something. Coronavirus, Black Lives Matter, the horrific lynching of George Floyd, the rise of Extinction Rebellion, the crazy final days of the Trump regime and so much more. How have both of you seen through the lens of your own work and the scenes that you're part of street art play a role in that? Can you tell us any stories from your own work over this past year that might give us a sense of the power of street art. Last year, March, um, I came back. I had just come back from my annual African trip and coming around. I was very excited to do my residences, but COVID strike and no longer. I mean, after a few months, George Floyd also passed away. But I had been working on so many stuff around uh, racial justice. I mean, and also gender. So looking at all of this, um, I was very fortunate to be invited for Black Lives Matter mural. And looking at all that happened, I wanted to talk about what it means to be Black and what I see all the time happening around my society, having to be born in Ghana and then growing up here, the challenges that I've been facing. I just oppose it against Amadou Diallo, who was born in Guinea, but died. I was killed here in the Bronx, New York. And here I find myself also in Bronx, New York. So all of this has to start translating in my works. And I, I didn't know how to convey it, but the more story circles I do with people, mostly immigrants, helped me in thinking about what to do and how to approach it. 
and finally how to address this issue. That is how slowly I started getting into it and events that have provoked me a lot, I would call it provoke because uh, there's more beautiful ways than provoke. But just for the sake of words, yeah, it's um, lives, black lives being killed. And I'm looking at myself having the same color as everybody who is just being killed continuously and having to see sisters all in the same. So I was just translating my own stories, which are mostly personal and uh, community stories as to how black lives are being neglected and being killed. Yeah, I would love to uh, elaborate more about it the more we continue with the podcast. Okay, thank you. Faviana? It's been a very productive, but also really wild time for me as an artist and cultural organizer. My work really deals with changing mass narratives. So as an artist, I recognize the power that artists have to respond to our time. And last year really represented the collapse of old narratives, right? Whether it was the narrative of capitalism or this idea that in the richest country in the world, we would have a healthcare system that works, like all of that fell apart. Even the idea, you know, there there was an idea pre-2020 that the police are here to protect some people, that all fell apart because it became clear and it has been becoming clear that the police actually disproportionately target black and brown people. So last year, the pandemic really presented a moment of culture war, especially in the United States, where we had an administration that didn't care about COVID. And COVID is something that has disproportionately killed Black and Latino and Indigenous people. So what that meant for me as an artist was that we needed to make art that is about the future that we want, right? Art that's about demanding health care for all, demanding relief, economic relief at a time when, you know, who are the most impacted? People of color, uh, because we are the ones who are in the essential workforce. And then, of course, a call to defund the police, as well as demands that simply we can't continue in a white supremacist society that that hasn't been working for decades, but now it's really time to name it. And what I did with my organization is um, created narrative guides and opportunities, commissions for artists to be able to be a part of shaping the narratives of the future. And so we commissioned over 300 works of art. Some of them were murals, some of them were billboards, some of them were art that was shared on social media. A lot of stuff made it out into the streets because a lot of the economy shut down, which means that when the economy shut down and you also have mass protests, people are gonna board up their neighborhoods. And across this country, neighborhoods were boarded up, which meant that artists could actually make art on these surfaces. That's what happened in my city. It happened in many other cities. I saw a lot of art that was responding to the issues and really presenting a vision for how to move forward. And I think that we are still in that time. I mean, we're in a new year. And even though we're in a new administration, we continue 
The economic fallout from COVID is real. COVID, we've just hit the 500,000 mark. As, as we saw from January 6, uh, white supremacy is still very front and center. And I think that what, what street art does, and really for me, street art in essence is public art, is that we need to use all our tools to be able to represent our values and, and not just to fight against these systems which aren't working, but also to present another way forward. So if we're gonna defund the police, that means we need to invest in mental health counselors, domestic violence counselors, right? We need to be able to show the yes as much as we show the no. Absolutely. And what outside of your work would you point to as the work you've seen that has most inspired your own activism? In terms of street art that can fire change, what would you point to as being your own personal touchstones, your own key sources of inspiration, Faviana? I mean, for me, the AIDS quilt, that is definitely street art. You had massive amounts of grieving families making quilts about their loved ones who had died of AIDS under a government that did not care about the sick. We are in that same reality today, right? We have so many dead people. How are we moving with our grief? Um, Another uh, piece of street art to me was the murals that were created in, in Mexico, the Mexican muralists, and how they depicted a different kind of worker right? They, they depicted indigenous people, workers, and that was something we had not seen. We had not seen the stories of everyday working people reflected back at us. And then finally, I would say that the other body of work that I've been really inspired by lately is work around Me Too. I, Me Too reflects the ways in which we can so rapidly change narratives from not believing survivors to believing survivors. And so I've seen a lot of work that talks about ending street harassment. um, And that's just really about reclaiming our stories. Yeah. Um, uh, One of the, I think, uh, Fabiana uh, mentioned uh, one by Enrico, the one by the border town that strike around the wall from Mexico all the way to the U.S., that large one is one huge inspiration for um, the work that I've been doing. And there is um, another artist uh, called Alicia, I forgot her last name. Yeah, but she's also a bronze-based artist who's been making works. They are not uh, mainly going straight on the street as uh, Pictoria, but they're performance. So there's these performances that she's been doing that has to deal with uh, people like where COVID patients and also essential workers. So all of these works, when I see, saw it on Instagram and uh, also having to be able to participate in some of them, it felt very empowering as to how all of this, instead of being in galleries or square spaces, are now on the street and having interaction with people um, that would bring changes that we all wish to see. Um, so works like that are the works that have been very striking to, uh, for me. And by June, July, August, the works that I've been very, very intrigued by is works by the ordinary people who are not called artists. Uh, when the street murals started on the street, uh, Black Lives Matter murals, all of this started in Washington. Because most of the people who participated 
were not artists, but they just wanted to support and have their voice heard. And I think all of this inspiration comes from the artist, and then it goes back to the artist to also come back and do it. It's just like a recycling. The artists inspire the public, and then the public are doing this, and I'm another artist who has been inspired by what um, an ordinary uh, person is doing. So this is the three ways that really engage me. You mentioned the the huge Black Lives Matter murals of last year that became images that spread around the world and came to symbolise the sense of deep shift that was taking place. What's your sense of the potential of huge, impactful pieces like that, TJ? This is a beautiful question. I remember when I was asked this uh, by one lady who was writing her thesis, for centuries, art has been a leading God in changing the world. And like uh, Nelson Mandela says, it is in your hands to make a beautiful world for all who lives in it. So all these murals being created spark and provoke people. Once this provocation is done, it then turns away the energy from the negativity to the positivity. So all the works of advocates becomes uh, like becomes paramount and then come first on the table because what all of these um, murals are doing they are doing three things one they are provoking they are also saving our history and they are also informing so the information that comes out of it it's what is used to channel there is a lot of policies if not for all of these murals it wouldn't have come out and there are times where street murals become neglected only because we all know what is happening because politicians know that when all of these murals have access and public have access to the messages in these murals it is a symbol of change and it is a symbol of provocations for us to rethink about what we are doing is it enough no it's not enough how do you make it not enough how do you voice out by engraving and this is what is happening. Mm. Faviana, what was your sense of that? Art and culture helps maintain ideas in the zeitgeist of the public imagination. And so um, it actually really helps like concretize them. And so as we are demanding and shouting Black Lives Matter when we're in the streets, to write it down in a public space and to take over that space just becomes an act of making it the more real. We get closer to that reality uh, because the fact that even mayors across the country were allowing for Black Lives Matter to be painted on the street is a huge culture shift. Now, I want to you know, remind everyone that Black Lives Matter was a movement born nine years ago now after Trayvon Martin was killed in, in Florida. And so it's been many years in the making and it's been years of artists from athletes to television writers to visual artists who are normalizing that. Um, but in May of 2020, when the uprisings uh, began after George Floyd was killed, it was a real kind of injection of power, you know, whose time had come. 
And so I, I see Black Lives Matter really as a cultural movement and the arts has been very central to that. And so when we see that here we are, you know, in 2020, eight years after Black Lives Matter was born, that mayors are allowing for Black Lives Matter to be written into the street, that's that's a big deal. And they're allowing for Black Lives Matter to be written on the street. They're not allowing for defund the police, which defund the police was actually what the demand was, right? So I think it's also important to know culture moves very fast. Like our ideas around what's needed moves fast and politics moves slow. So of course it took eight years for politicians and even corporate America to say Black Lives Matter. And it's largely symbolic. It's largely, I think in many ways, sometimes performative. But the real, real action needs to happen in defunding the police. I mean, that's a real policy shift which is happening. And, you know, you did have murals that said defund the police. They were just not sanctioned <laughs> by the city, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I wanted to add a quick one here. Ariana brought up something that reminded me of when we were painting the Black Lives Matter mural in front of the courthouses here in New York. Around City Hall, there was a lot of protesters who were sleeping over there for this same demand of defund the police. And some of these people who spoke with us when we were painting the mural, they said, yeah, dear, at nine, they are being beaten by the same police, but people do not record all of this. So we wanted to do something over there, but we didn't get the opportunity to do it. So the truth is always being erased and hidden. Fabian just brought it up, so I thought I should also highlight it, that this is a voice of the people who were part of it and how they were being oppressed against what they were also advocating for. Thank you. Thank you. One of the premises that underpins this podcast is the idea that we need with great urgency and purpose to create the best conditions possible for the imagination to flourish in our culture. How, in your experience, can street art do that? How would a future with street art everywhere potentially impact our collective imagination? Faviana? Yes, yeah, so I think at its, at its essence, what street art is, is art that's in our public domain, right? It can be on the sidewalks, it can be on buildings, in the parks. I mean, it doesn't have to look one way. It's about art that is a part of the commons. That's what I would define as a street art. I think that we urgently need culture that reflects the values that we're moving towards. And so we, for example, as a global community, we know that fossil fuels are not sustainable. Fossil fuels are killing the planet. Where is the art about a clean energy future or about solar energy? right? That's not necessarily popular right now, but it's what we need. And similarly, we need to move towards racial healing. And that means we need truth and reconciliation. Other countries have done truth and reconciliation. We're not going to move forward on the conversation around white supremacy until we acknowledge the harm that was done. So how can art be used to heal, to name, to witness, uh, and also to help us see what's possible in the future. You know, I really love Black Panther, the movie, because Wakanda was a, 
a place that didn't exist in real life, but it existed in the film. And it was a place that was neither pre nor post colonial. So white people had never disrupted that place. And to me, the idea of Wakanda was very powerful. And so I, I, I see the same role of street art is that the ideas that we share in street art don't have to be politically feasible, right? I make art about the elimination of borders. And I use the symbol of the monarch butterfly to talk about that borders are man-made and we don't need borders. Nature doesn't have borders. And even though it's unlikely that we will move uh, away from the concept of a nation state, what matters is the idea. The idea that the nation state is a construct. It's not real, right? Nature is real, not the nation state. So I think it's actually very important. And I actually think that street art because it lives in the realm of art, needs to even depict futurism, fantasy, because by getting into that space, I think we're able to like practice mentally thinking that, but also we get to really embody it. Hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, TJ? I think um, aesthetically, it enhances and preserves you know, our cultural heritage, our identities, our myths, our beliefs, it does that. And then it has also its conceptual ideas, which are root, deeply rooted in it. And most of the time it happens in the eye or minds of the viewer. So this piece is street art becomes a monumental piece in the heart of the audience that engage with it. For education, what it does with education, it, it also preserves. So it educates, it preserves for generations yet unborn to see what happened or what is happening. And then uh, references that um, I always see and talk about is the murals that we saw in Egypt, the ones in the caves. All these are street art. They all happened at an era where names were in there. So, you know, we give names to the nameless and just like African performances, they're art. But because Africans, we do not call it art, we see it more as a religious practice. It's just recently and modern technologies that are naming a performance art and giving it various names. So these three things are what it does, aesthetic meanings, beautification, the conceptual aspect, which is the big part and then the education for generations yet unborn to see and feel what happened before them. I grew up in Bristol, the, the city that Banksy emerged from, which is one of the cities in the UK with the most street art in the country, a really, really vibrant street art scene and a big street art festival every year. And it's also one of the most imaginative cities culturally and politically. Do you see a correlation between the amount of street art in a city and the degree to which its population is imaginative? Is it that a more imaginative cities produce more street art or that more street art produces more imaginative cities? TJ? Mm. Yeah, um, I think it's both ways. It's very interesting, but um, street art, I believe, is inspired by the events that is happening around them. So it is uh, both ways. Thank you. Fabiana? Yeah, I think that thriving cities make a deep investment in culture. I think that artists need to be compensated for their work. And so I always 
believe that when cities help create environments where artists can thrive and where street art can abound, they are going to become holistically rich cities and people will have a better quality of life. Great. Thank you. So my last question is, if people are listening to this and are inspired and are thinking they'd like to see more street art in the cities, in the streets around where they live, what would your advice be to bring the walls of their, of their towns, their cities alive? Faviana? Well, first, usually uh, every city has an arts commission. So it's important first to know who in your city is managing the arts program. What is their lens on equity? A lot of times cities prioritize what I call the sobs, the symphonies, the operas, and the ballets. And we need to move towards valuing the culture of the people. And that is street art. It's also street dancing. It's festivals. It's really culture that emerges from the grassroots. Uh, And so I encourage people to partner with their cities and start with a pilot, you know, find an avenue, find a place in your community where you could have a public art event, you know, choose a theme. Maybe the theme might be inclusiveness, right? Equity. How would you depict that? Make a call out to artists, make sure you have the resources so that you could pay artists and also have a celebration, a distribution strategy, a way to really uplift the work of these artists. Uh, But it starts with pilots because when you can when you get to meet who are the street artists who are often the street artists are often part of like the marginalized creatives right and for me what's important is that we in general i mean i think this needs to happen in the arts is that for decades for hundreds of years what we have considered art is actually the work of predominantly white european men and if you don't fit that then you're seen as lowbrow, you're seen as ethnic, you're seen as women's art. But we need to flip that. And we need to instead create a a new kind of arts and culture space that really welcomes everything, even, you know, people's cultural traditions, right? So I, I encourage folks to shift their perceptions of what they define as art and to really make room for folks who have been, you know, pushed out of the traditional art world as we know it, make room for them and pay them. Make sure you have resources. We artists, um, a lot of us, you know, need a lot of education and also uh, freedom in terms of digging out um, information. I'll use myself as an example. I moved to the U.S. in 2013. And the kind of art I wanted to see, I saw a lot of that in the Bronx. So I settled in the Bronx, but I didn't know how to convey my art to the public. And I didn't like wide cube spaces and, you know, to start with galleries. So I had to look for ways by which I could work with companies. So I was working mostly with cultural institutions, sometimes for no pay, but we had a very great agreement. So there are a lot of sacrifices that we do, but if artists will look more into cultural organizations and all needful and powerful statements to do, but how to convey all of this to an organization or a company to support it becomes problematic. So all of that is part of education that we would need to further expand these ideas and goals. 
Wow, thank you both so much. I feel like you're both absolutely extraordinary and, and I would love this conversation to go on for hours and hours, but I think we should draw this part to a close. So thank you both so, so much for your time and for joining me today. Thank you so much. A great pleasure. And my thanks to you for listening. And do support our making of these podcasts at patreon.com slash from what if to what next. My thanks as always to my producer, theme music composer and collaborator, Ben Adicott. See you next time. Mm-hmm.